All Right Fitness Retention Podcast, episode number 37, with none other than Justin J.T. Tamset. He is the Managing Director of Active Management. He is the host of the weekly Facebook Live show, J.T. in the Raw, and he is the Director of the Fitness Business Podcast, an awesome podcast out of Australia with worldwide reach. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about creating systems improving your personal training program as a source of increased revenue and creating, not competing. This idea that if you just compete with everybody else, you're going to be just like them. And this is one of the business philosophies that I subscribe to. Um, So this really hit home for me. Um, Head on over to agemotion.com. Check out my new attention on retention audit, a tool that's the first of its kind that gives owners, operators, managers the power to take retention into their own hands. Um, Also a good time to mention that uh, 2019, I am now taking on new consulting clients. If your gym is struggling with retention and you don't know why, or you do know why, but you don't know how to solve it, uh, shoot me an email at A-G-Y-M-O-T-I-O-N.com. And yeah, I hope you enjoy episode number 37 because I sure enjoyed recording it. Fitness Retention Podcast, here we go. One. All right. Welcome to the Fitness Retention Podcast. Justin Tamset, JT. Thank you, young Alex. Good to see you. Young Alex. I'll, I'll take that for a few more years until I turn 30. Oh, yeah. Well, you got a few more to catch up to me. So, yeah, you can be young. <laughs> um, I'm sure most people that are listening to this uh, will know who you are. Um, but if someone doesn't know who you are, how do you introduce yourself? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and... It, I guess it depends almost who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone in the fitness industry, I go, well, you know, my, what I do is uh, I've been in the industry for a few years and I do a little bit of business coaching and speaking at conferences and basically try to help clubs operate more efficiently and more effectively uh, and hopefully therefore more profitably. Um, if I'm talking to someone outside the fitness industry, I say, uh, I'm trying to reduce the healthcare costs around the globe by helping, helping more people get more active more often. Yeah, that seems to have been a shift in the last few years that people are kind of looking at it from this like big scale of healthcare costs that, um, and again, I've been in the industry only like seven years, so I haven't been in it for as long as you have or some of the other like really well-respected people. When did that shift happen? You know, I think it's it's kind of been in the last five to seven, maybe a decade. I think it's because of the, the prevalence of the media uh, emphasising and, and talking so much about the burgeoning healthcare costs within our, our societies in every country yeah. all around the world. Yeah. Um, and I think because we're at the coalface of a solution to that being exercise, uh, we're obviously very biased. Uh, but I think that's why it, it's raised it, uh, in prevalence over the last five to ten years. So 
you talk about different different countries. Talk to me a little bit about what's going on in some of the different countries around the world. I'm I'm pretty much U.S. based, so I I have a pretty good finger on the pulse here. But what do you see in Australia? What do you see in like New York versus San Francisco? What what's kind of going on? Well, certainly in the U.S. market, we've seen um, massive growth of fitness boutiques. Yeah. Um, and you know the first one being Soul Cycle and Barry's Boot Camp, and now multiplying like faster than rabbits, even the boutiques. Mm-hmm. And they haven't. And then I think they've really gone from here to London, mm-hmm. and started to filtrate through Europe. They're just starting to hit Australia now. We just had the first Barry's Boot Camp open just uh, two weeks ago, uh, and we've had a few small studios open but we haven't had this influx. And so I think what we're seeing a lot in the industry uh, that has started in the US, that's now filtering across the globe, is that uh, people are kind of using studios as where where they go and snack. Hmm. You know, you used to go to a gym and you could have your whole meal at the gym. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but now you just snack at different types of gyms and Hmm. it was fascinating, you know, talking to, we're here in New York at the moment and talking to some people in classes that we've been going to and the majority of them go to three or four different facilities. Yeah. Yeah. And five years ago that didn't really exist. If it did five years ago, the only other facility you went to outside of your big box gym would have been a yoga studio or an outdoor boot camp, but that would have been it. So you told me yesterday you did three workouts. You're doing two workouts today. Yeah. Um, can, can you tell? tell? What's that? Can you tell? <laughs> you look, you look young. You look yes. great. So for the, um, podcast, for the podcast listeners, Alex is just looking at how skinny my face is and just commenting. Well, when, when JT dialed in, I thought it was Brad Pitt or something, and then he introduced himself. Um, the accent. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of similarities, not. <laughs> Sorry, I um, cut you off. So you're, you're in New York, and you've done five, or you will have done five fitness classes in the last two days. What are you doing? What are you testing out? What are you seeing? One of the things that I committed to doing nearly three years ago is going into a different fitness facility every week. Mm-hmm. At least one. Mm-hmm. And when I go into those fitness facilities, Alex, I go in as a consumer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going in as a, as a consultant. I'm not going in to sell anything. What I want to go in is I want to experience what the consumer would experience. And from mm-hmm. that, it helps me get an idea of what trends there are in the industry. It gets, gives me an idea of perhaps where, where we're strong or where we're weak as, as an industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so been going to these facilities and really just going in as a consumer and seeing how they onboard you as a, as a drop-in visitor, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to see you know, what the experience is like. Look at their email correspondence uh, and, and compare that. So, you know, it's great fun working out, but it's a learning process as well. So I did actually something really similar at the beginning, actually starting in March. I went to 50 gyms in five months, six months. Yeah. Um, and I didn't actually work out at all of them. I looked at the sales process of all of them because my, my background is in sales and I kind of looked at it through the lens of are people selling just transactionally or are they selling with the actual member in mind? And 
I think that there's a pretty significant gap between the average big box gyms training, like how they train their sales staff and their floor staff and the actual sales process that it should be when you're looking at something that's a subscription business that is minimum, maybe like 500 to a thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Um, what, what have you seen in terms of the sales process? If you are going in as in as a consumer, what's working, what's not working. So I think the big difference between a big box gym and a boutique is a boutique generally has a retail sales model, or I think you call it a transaction model. Yeah. So you walk in and you say, well, how much is membership? And they go, um, there's a special going on right now. (laughs) They go, here it is. (laughs) There it is. Um, I'm just holding up a card with the prices (laughs) and, and that's it. And then you make the decision whether you want to buy or not. And often, uh, probably more often than not, those purchases are actually made online. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you go into a big box gym, you still get that traditional tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though that traditional tour, the weakness in that traditional tour is we're trying to get more through the pipeline and we don't take as much time, which probably you can attest to after doing those 50 gyms is we're not spending enough time getting to know who the customer is. Yeah. Sorry, I got a fire truck. <laughs> uh, we're not taking as much time to identify who the customer is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. From my experience, when we spend more time finding out who that customer actually is and why they're interested in joining. Oh, things- we got another one. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Hopefully everyone's okay. Um, we find two things happen when we spend more time at that front end. First one is that we sell a higher yield product. Mm-hmm. And the second one is they stay longer. Yeah. So, so talk to me about what maybe, I mean, you obviously are getting in front of a lot of people who are attempting to make a sale to you, right? What two or three of the best questions that you've been asked and something that made you think, wow, maybe I haven't heard that question before. That's a different way to think about it. That is an excellent question. And the simple answer is none. <laughs> okay. I'm, and, I, and I mean that in all seriousness and, and, and not a degree of facetiousness about our industry, but it doesn't matter whether you are shopping a club in London, Sydney, New York, LA, Mm-hmm. You go into a big box club, you're going to be asked, so are you currently exercising and what are your goals? Yep. And then they drill down on both of those. There's really nothing there. Um, the strength comes in that sales process for me is on those next questions where they probe, where they have a genuine interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think this is probably where as an industry we, we're lacking a little bit is that salesperson having the genuine interest in who's in front of them and trying to really get down and, and peel the, the layers of the onion back to get the crux of why they're coming to the gym. Yeah. I mean, I think as with a background in training, I think that's really easy to get to that point because you're used to having that conversation with a lot of people. 100%. But if you're completely just right out of school and all you know is you like exercising and you're then taught to go sell fitness or told to go sell fitness 
it's kind of challenging because you can't really get to that deeper layer that you that you speak of without a significant amount of training. Um, and what I find is that people are selling these memberships that might only be might the, the value might not be sold initially and they might sell like a one month, two month, three month membership, but yeah. the cost of acquisition doesn't justify the membership lifetime. And I think that that's one of the big reasons that there's a ton of churn is people aren't qualifying people correctly to say like, Hey, maybe this isn't the best, or maybe this is the best option for you. Um, and that's what I've seen. That's what I got a lot. It was like, Hey, you like to work out. You look fairly fit. $69 a month. And it was like, well, what the hell? <laughs> like, why, don't you get to know me. Couple, why don't you take a few more minutes to find out about who I am, what I'm really after. And you might be able to sell me personal training or you might be able to do an add on um, massage or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, completely. Um, okay. So, so talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're for in fitness, JT. What I'm for? Yeah, like what, what, like what are you trying to, how, how are you going to leave your mark on the industry? Wow, geez, that's a deep question. Um, I would like to think that um, my mark on the industry is teaching business owners and their managers or management team to really think and do differently to everybody else. Um, there's a couple of things for me. I think if we keep trying to be as good as every other gym, we only get as good as any other gym. Amen. And I love the story of um, British Airways where British Airways were looking to um, improve the efficiency and the effectiveness and the teamwork of their maintenance team. Mm -hmm. What they decided was we, we need to look at another business that we could um, learn from and what could we do. Now, they could have gone to Qantas as an example because Qantas is one of the, I think it might be the only airline that's never had um, a plane crash. Mm -hmm, I've heard that. And that, so they could have gone there. But no, they went to a Formula One pit crew mm. to see how a Formula One pit crew can get a, a car in, get everything changed so efficiently, so effectively and so safely and then out in a matter of seconds. And what did they, what did they learn? Well, they, just by going through that process, I don't know what they learnt, but by going through the process, they, they didn't compare themselves to other airlines. They went to the best of the best. Mm -hmm. So I think as an industry, the legacy that I would like to leave is, um, A, bringing education from outside the industry into our industry, but also B, challenging the business owners, managers and, and team members, regardless of the size of the business that you've got is to look outside the industry and try to work out, well, what are they, what's this industry doing really well that we can learn from here? Or what's this industry doing really well that's relevant to us? I think about when you, when you say that, I think about like a software service because their entire business is based on retention and keeping people paying. Like you think about Dropbox or, you know, one of those companies, you're, once you join, you're not going to want to switch because of the immense value that they deliver for the price point. And that's yes. how they keep you in there. And yeah. I think that fitness needs to look at companies that have incredibly high valuations, but also very low customer turnover, like software businesses. I think that that's a really big opportunity that's not really being taken advantage of right now. Yeah, or, look, I, would, I would agree with that. Uh, we wouldn't look at golf clubs. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, although in saying that, one of the interesting things about golf clubs is they, they do tend to have high retention because mm-hmm. most golf clubs have a high joining fee. Yeah. So you're never going to leave. Yet what do we do in our industry? We drop the joining fee like that just to mm-hmm. try to make a sale. Uh, and we know from the data from Ursa that people that pay the most stay the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, I think there's a few different industries we can learn from. Um, for me, because our product is so intangible, mm-hmm. um, it, it comes back to the experience. Yeah. And I think this is one of the cool things about boutiques that uh, they do brilliantly well and big box clubs don't do well at all. And that's create the experience when the customer comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, now by far soul cycle from, from end to end in that customer experience, they're probably number one. Barry's boot camp would be number two and everyone else is chasing them. Mm-hmm. And I think as an industry, we can learn from that end to end customer experience. Mm-hmm. And creating that experience, creating something magical, or as Seth Godin talks about, remarkable. Yep. And he defines remarkable as worthy of remark. Mm-hmm. And I think when you go and have a workout in, in some of these boutique studios that are floating around the planet, um, some of those workouts are simply remarkable. Yeah. And I would have to say that if I've been to a big box club, there's there's nothing remarkable that I walk away from. Well, you look at, you look at what big clubs are doing and they're trying to bring in like micro gyms within the gym. Correct. So I think they're understanding that that happens. But my problem with that is you're not going to get the best spin instructor at a insert big box name gym here. Yes. You're just not because you're not going to pay them the same way. I know how much the instructors at, Barry's boot camp make they crush they have no incentive to go anywhere else so how do you compete well I I, I think you're right in that sense um the thing that I really like about the boutiques is they are very focused on entertainment yeah so so here's my scale Mm -hmm. right at the top of my scale is entertainment and right at the bottom of the scale is um, technical instruction. Okay. So technical instruction, they would rate one out of 10, mm-hmm. but rockstar instructors rate 9.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. In a lot of the big box clubs, we are 9.5 out of 10. Te- oh, no, we're not. We're about 7.5 to 8.5 technical. Yeah. And we're about 2.5 entertainment. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's funny when I started doing this, when I started consulting, basically I was thinking about the towns where they might not have like San Francisco has 250 gyms in 50 square miles. There's, there's options. And same with New York, same with San Diego, same with everywhere. But there's a lot of towns where you're either a member of a gym or you're not. And oftentimes it's those big kind of those like big gyms that might be your only option. And what I thought about was like the opportunity for them isn't to lose their business temporarily. It's to provide the only option for them. And if you can't be the only option and someone doesn't want to pay for that, there's something broken about that. Um, And that's kind of where this, my whole project started. Obviously it's gone places different from that now, but I just think that there's this lack of 
a lot of people might not really care about why they're in the industry. And I mean, ultimately it's about helping people. That's probably why you got in, right? Oh, totally. Well, you know, I got in because I was passionate about health and fitness like everybody else. Yeah. And you want to change people's lives. And it's only when you're in there and you're, you're actually at the coalface that maybe things change. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like, you know, a lot of the points that you make is that in a lot of cities, uh, there is only one, maybe two options to join. Yeah. Um, and I do think as an industry, we still haven't tapped well enough into the people who are not coming to gyms. Yeah. Um, and I would hate to say publicly the number of people that join a gym and then don't come back. Mm. Like they're paying their money. They're paying their dues every month, every bi-weekly, but they're not, they're not using the club. Yeah. Um, that numbers, that number, I think in most gyms would be incredibly scary. Although the owner probably calls them profit. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that like moral debate a few times where it's like, do you call the person who hasn't been here in six months? <laughs> yeah, and it, that, you're, you're right. It is this moral um, dilemma that we face. I mean, they get a reminder every single month on their bank statement that they're yep. a member of the gym. Yep. They should take responsibility, but should we be taking responsibility as a club um, and be contacting them? And I, I, I often joke that when I started in the industry, one of our big selling points on our tours was, now look, Alex, if you don't come to the gym, we'll give you a call. Mm -hmm. We'll ring you up and say, where are you? And I reckon there are people still in the nine who joined the gyms in 1990s and are still waiting for that phone call. Yeah, probably. And so they they got burnt by gyms and they've never been back because they joined, they never used it. and, And the gym said, we'd call you and, they never did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, I don't have an answer to that, right? Like, I don't I know don't, if anyone does. I don't think we ever will. I, yeah. think as an in, I, I think as an industry, we never, ever will. Um, 20% of our members are hyper-regular. Mm-hmm. 60% are semi-regular. And 20% are once in a blue moon. Yeah. Um, but... You know, they get a reminder and I think they've got to have some responsibility for the decision that they've made. And I think for us as an industry, if we can get the 60% that are semi-regular up to more regular, then I think we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, any time you move the needle, I think it's, you're, you're obviously maybe making a little bit more money, but you're also helping people live a better life. And I think ultimately you can do both. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, Okay, so speaking of making money, um, talk to me about something that every gym can do starting tomorrow that will have the long-term effect of them making more money. Look, for me, it's definitely definitely two areas, um, maybe three, but let's go with two. Okay. Without a doubt, personal training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think personal training is just this golden opportunity to, to take um, results and, and care to, for the customer to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for personal training, um, there is so much scope around what personal training is, mm-hmm. but we're still in very much in a box of, well, personal training is once a week or it's twice a week or it's three times a week, but that's the only thing. 
Um, my view is personal training could be once a month. Yep. Um, it, whatever it looks like, personal training is um, a way to generate more income, but it also makes uh, the club sticky for that client. Yeah, I and think it's important that the personal trainers realise that that client is a member of the gym first and then they're a client. That's something that I've been stressing for a while is teaching everybody in their job, customer service, personal training, management, convincing them to fill out a customer journey map and understanding why their job is really important as it relates to the client's lifetime at the gym. Correct. I think that most, I don't know if what you've seen in your work, are, are gyms filling that out? I haven't really talked to anybody that's filling those out. No, look, I don't think, I don't think they do it well enough or to a deep enough level for every single role in a club to realise how that impacts this person's visit or this person's longevity as, as a member. Uh-huh. Um, you know, whether it's that group fitness instructor standing at the door to get in and high-fiving people when they walk in or high-fiving when they walk out. Yep. That simple touch mechanism, that has a massive impact on whether the person comes back or not and, then, and therefore long-term retention. So I don't think as an, as an industry we've done a great job of teaching all of those roles and the impact. Mm-hmm. And certainly personal training, it has a... a has a grand impact on retention. Yeah. Has a grand impact on our uh, income that we can produce. Yeah. So for me, really understanding how personal training can work in your business model mm-hmm. is, is paramount. And then you said there was a second one as well, right? Yeah, the second one is an interesting one. Um, but I and I see this as a lesson that we can learn from the boutiques. And I think we can make a lot of money out of merchandise and clothing sales. I agree. Uh, I think we leave a lot of money on the table because we don't. Uh, but here's my, here's my waiver or my rider. Um, is that you'll never sell any merchandise in your club if you don't have a strong community or a tribe that people want to be, belong to. Yep. And you've only got to look at... Um, uh, basketball teams or NFL teams or NHL teams over he- all over here. And the Lakers, people buy a Lakers singlet because they like the Lakers. Yep. Or they buy a Raiders uh, NFL jersey because they like NFL. Um, and they just want to be seen to be part of that community or that tribe. Mm-hmm. And when you see people walk out of a Barry's boot camp and just stop at the retail outlet and buy their stuff or um, – soul cycle because it's a cool brand and they want to be known to be part of that tribe when they're at the shopping center. And I don't think big box clubs have nailed that community feel that tribalness that people want then to be known in the public that they belong to that tribe. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of money that can be made from merchandise sales, Hmm. but you can't make that until you've nailed the culture and the community within your club first. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's something that no one has said on this show before. Oh, does that mean it's wrong? <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, um, you probably get paid a lot more than most people on this show. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that... Does it make sense what I'm saying? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, I like you're not going to wear a, a and again like a big box gyms t-shirt because well let, let me take a step back. I think everything in fitness is emotional. I think there's an emotional driver between almost every purchase decision in fitness. Yeah. Totally um, and I think that to associate that emotion with a brand and a purchase is a pretty big commitment by you saying like, I'm all in on this. And yeah. I completely agree. I'm just, you know, I think for the average person, I don't know that that is that they have really leaped into the brand as much as maybe you one would hope to sell those pieces of clothing or the water bottle or whatever. And I think that that's something that we need to cultivate and curate within the brand or within certain brands. Well, I think if you, again, you look outside the fitness industry, if you go to um, Disneyland, you go yeah. to um, Universal Studios, any theme park on the way out, you always are going to walk through yep. the souvenir store. And if you've got kids, the kids go, oh, I want to remember this visit. So you buy something. Yep. Um, you know, the workout that I had this morning was an insane workout. It was just probably the hardest workout of my life. Uh -huh. uh, and I want to remember that. So I bought a singlet on the way out. Now, it's not a great singlet, but it's a good singlet. Now, they don't have their brand emblazoned across the middle. Mm -hmm. It's just a nice, subtle use of their brand. Whereas I think if I join, you know, insert big box club anywhere on the world, that they want me to wear a T-shirt that makes me a billboard. <laughs> yeah. And that's not cool. That's not funky. I don't care what the name of your club is. To make it a billboard T-shirt, it's not cool. Yeah. Well, you got to do things that benefit the end user. Correct. Um, yeah. There's a good book. Um, Never lose a customer again. Have you, have you read that book? Yeah. 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 Joey Coleman. Great book. Um, but he talks about that, like giving someone a water bottle with your huge brand on the water bottle that only serves you really. Exactly. Um, it'll serve them while they're in the club that day because they didn't have a water bottle they'll drink it they'll take it home and they'll never use it again yeah yeah um i feel like we could talk about this for hours but let's let's switch to um can i give you my third one? Oh no i thought you only said two yeah what's the third one I said, I said two and i might have a third one so my third one is this what we know from consumer research is this uh-huh um 20 percent yeah, 20% of our customer base would spend 30 to 40% more mm -hmm. on a product if we had a product available to them. Where's that from? So that comes out of uh, trendwatching.com. Okay. So that's uh, an international trendwatching organization. And that's what they found over the last few years, that customers will spend more money if there's a product available. Now, while we might be charging 30 to 40% more, we only are increasing the cost to deliver that by about 10%. Okay. So just because we're charging 30, 40% more, 90% of that extra cost is not eaten up in expenses. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, some examples, uh, I walk into an Apple store. Mm -hmm. I, I don't buy an Apple 8 because I love Apple, I buy the Apple 10. Yeah. I buy the best MacBook Pro. 
Yeah. Because I want the best. I don't know if it's necessarily the best, but I'm happy to spend the top dollar expecting it to be the best. Uh-huh. And so I think as, a, as, a, um, as an industry, we're, again, we're leaving money on the table by not having those premium products that we can offer hmm. to our customers. Hmm. Well, you see that with tiering in personal training, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Thing, I mean, things for me are the consumer these days, we're collecting so much data about how many steps we walked or how well we slept or what we ate. Mm. There's so much data that we collect that we don't even understand it. Yeah. And so the role of a personal trainer could actually be, I can train you 24 hours a day, seven days a week by looking at all your data, translating that so it helps you and then we can shape your behavior accordingly. Mm. Now that, is a premium service, which is only going to add 10% expense, but you could charge 30 or 40% more for that. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And the average consumer, they have got no concept of how to analyze the data that's collected on varying uh, products that we, that we use, whether it's a phone telling us how far we walked or an Apple watch or whatever it may be. Yeah. So I think there's massive opportunity for us there to give advice and 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 up that level of service with a premium pricing. Hmm. Yeah. So basically, technology would enable you to add a layer of premium services comboed with um, the ability to actually act on that data. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> um. Okay, so next question is kind of along the similar line, but um, what's something that every can do, every club can do tomorrow to save time? Oh, save time. Every club in the world wants to save time. Um, look, I think one of the key things for me is about systemization. Mm -hmm. Too many times we, we reinvent the wheel or we redo the same thing over and over and over again. Isn't that a definition of insanity or something? I believe so. Um, but, you know, when you read books like The E-Myth and they talk about in that, the systemization of our business, mm -hmm. um, I think we can save a lot of time by, if you like, pulling the person out of roles and putting systems in place. We always need the person. I'm not saying I'd take out the personality, mm -hmm. but leave the person in there. If we can systemize what we have in our business, I guarantee we would save a whole lot of time. The problem is we don't have it documented we don't have it systemized so that it's you know you walk into mcdonald's everything is systemized yeah and they work very efficiently in clubs we're clunky mm -hmm. we're really clunky and i think i think it comes back to in all honesty we don't know what we don't know so we don't know if there's a faster way to do something with technology because we we just don't know yeah and i guarantee there probably is a faster way to do something um, and that's, that's why the in word is all these life hacks and business hacks yep. because they're things that we just don't know that all of a sudden we do find out and we go, wow, that, that makes life easier for me. I, so, think, I think that kind of plays into your point about, um, looking what other businesses do. Correct. McDonald's, they've been around a long time. And they're reasonably successful. <laughs> kind of yeah so that, i mean you, you look I'm, I'm not saying you compare mcdonald's to fitness but 
looking outside of what everybody is doing. Everybody's trying to do what everybody else does. And I don't think that's the quickest way to make like innovative leaps. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not about like being as good as it's about being something better than or different than or whatever, in my opinion. No, I agree with you. And the thing I I think that I love about McDonald's, um, from Big Mac, (laughs) as opposed to the food, um, (laughs) is that they can get a 13 or 14 year old kid to follow the system. Yeah. And we put a 20, 30, 40 year old person in and we have no system. And so we let them freewheel on the front desk or out on the gym floor or in a class. And it's like, well, how come they're not delivered? Well, cause we didn't give them a bloody system to do. Yeah. So, and I, and I think one of the really cool things in our industry was Les Mills when they brought out pre choreographed classes mm-hmm. that we had this quality control in the sense that the choreography was going to be exactly the same. The difference was what the person taught. They brought their personality. They brought themselves to the, to the stage. Mm-hmm. And I think in gyms, if we've got things so well systemized that then the personality can come out, we can create that experience that experience then creates that community or that tribe. We then sell merchandise and it all comes together and we dominate the world. <laughs> That's the goal. Um, awesome. Well, we'll get to a little bit, a little bit lighter question. Um, what's in your gym bag right now? Because you are going to all these gyms, you're experiencing a ton of different variation in the industry. What are, what are like your constants to control your workout? Um, I'm a big fan of my zone. Okay. So I've got a my zone belt. Um, and to be honest, that is, and I travel a lot. Like I would travel pretty much every week. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a little shaker for protein or, or um, pre-workout. Mm-hmm. And in that shaker goes my, my zone belt. Okay. Every time I go. Yeah. Um, so if my heart rate's not being recorded, it doesn't count. And would you say my zone is, is kind of like the ultimate in their space? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've looked at a lot, uh, and I was not a big fan of, um, wearables. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm now addicted to it. I can't train without it. Gives me a good idea of, um, where I'm, you know, what level I'm at. Mm-hmm. I wear my MyZone belt. Like I did a marathon two weeks ago and wore my heart rate belt in that and compared my heart rate to the last time I ran a marathon mm-hmm. and was able to, you know, map the two things out. So um, that, that to me is, they are, they are number one by far. Hmm. How much did they pay you to say that? That was like a glowing endorsement right there. <laughs> uh, nothing actually. Maybe I should send them a- <laughs> I'll send them a link and say, hey, listen to this. I, I just, you know, this is going to sound really bad. I looked as if someone was listening to me. Um, the thing I love about my zone is the colours. Okay. So, yes, it picks up your heart rate and, yes, you can see a percentage on there, but I don't even look at that. I just look at the colours and go, all yellow, yep, that was a good workout. Or if I was doing an interval session, I'm going red all the way down to blue, up to red. Hmm. Um, I'm, a, I'm a visual learner. And for me, I just look at that and go, that's awesome. That's just what I need. Yeah. And 
a lot of the other heart rate monitoring devices don't have those colors. So it's, it's integral to me that after a workout, I can just look at those colors and that tells me, you know, whether, whether I worked at a, at a suitable level or not. And and it doesn't have to be always be red because I'm not trying to flog myself every workout. (laughs) Um, But the colors are the things that are, are critical for me. And that's what I love about them is, is the colors. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I want to I want to try them out. I play a lot of pickup basketball, and uh, I'd be really curious curious to know kind of like what the output is in my first game versus my third or fourth game, where I start to fatigue, and how 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 kind of like heart rate affects play, basically. I've got a mate. He wears his over here in the U.S. He wears his his uh, my zone belt when he plays basketball, oh. and you can see it spike up. And again, you just look at the colors, and you can see it go up and down. That's awesome. It's very cool. Like it's very visual, and in our industry, we're very visual people. So that's why I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So we'll we'll wrap up here in a minute. But um, if you could, if you could leave the audience and the listeners, I mean, this is a pretty highly specialized kind of like a niche podcast for people that are listening to this. What what kind of advice or what would you recommend? for the next kind of like year in fitness? What do you think is big? How do you think people can improve their performance at their job? There's a couple of things. I think the first one is we need to be very clear on why we got into the job. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's got to be more than because we're passionate about health and fitness. Mm -hmm. So that every day we're going to work with a, with a true purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that can make you a better team member, that can make you a better leader, that can make you a better owner of a business when we're very clear in why, we, why we're heading in there. Mm-hmm. I think, um, secondly, you know, to have a real impact on, on the business and, and the people that are in there uh, as members is that we want to have a really clear idea of what are we actually delivering. Mm-hmm. Now, are we delivering uh, a place where people and there's nothing wrong with this where people rent the treadmill by paying their, their payments every month mm-hmm. or they're renting the weights equipment. If that's the business model, be happy with the, that business model and don't screw with it. Yeah. If that's not your business model and your business model is well, we want to create service and we've got expectations, well then we need to be clear on what we're trying to deliver. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people who, who don't quite get that. Yeah. So I get some clarity around that. Uh, and the third thing is, uh, in order to, to strengthen your business, I believe that uh, numbers in the business will give you a very good indication of what's happening in the business. Yeah. So to be able to run your business looking at numbers rather than gut feel is a really powerful tool. Uh, whether they be sales KPIs, retention KPIs, any other metrics that we use, I, I just like the idea of having a, having a barometer that's mm-hmm. either red, orange, or green mm-hmm. on whether we're, what we're performing. And I think as an owner, it behoves us to um, have a scoreboard within our club so that all our staff know whether we're winning or losing the game. And if mm-hmm. we can gamify running a business, we start to get buy-in from more team members. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of um, having a scoreboard in a staff room, measuring whatever metrics we want, not too many, two or three. Yeah. And all the staff members know, and 
I would love to be able to stand in the car park of any fitness facility and as the staff walk out, I say, so did we win or lose on your shift today? And they could say, oh, we won because we did da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as change people's lives. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a simple idea too, right? Like I think, I think a good measure is did everybody you talked to today or everybody you dealt with, did you improve their day? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can look at it as win or lose, but like, are you making a good impact on people's lives? Kind of the same question. And if you, if you are making an impact, then we won. Yeah, 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 exactly. If you, if you didn't make an impact or you didn't talk to enough people out there on the gym floor, then we lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, I don't care whether it's a metric or whether it's a, a, um, a, a guess, a subjective statement, but we've got to be able to say to people at the end of their shift, whether we won or we lost because we had an impact or we didn't have an impact or we shifted the needle as you used that phrase earlier today. So that, that'd be kind of my three that I'd really encourage people to work on getting mm-hmm. clarity around why they personally work there, getting clarity around what is the product that we're delivering and they're determining whether that product that we are delivering, are we improving it? Are we winning or are we losing? Hmm. And just, just one thing to add on that. I think managers should be looking at that every day for, with their staff. Like, did I, as a manager, make your day better? Did I make you coming into work worthwhile? Absolutely. I think that that's something that is an opportunity as well. There's a book, First Break All the Rules. It's an older book now hmm. by Marcus Buckingham. And in that book, there are 13 questions that was actually 12. The 13th question is, did you answer the previous 12 questions honestly? <laughs> Um, and in that, the, the top six questions are really key to building that foundation as a, as a leader of people, not as a manager of people, mm-hmm. so that they can walk away. And you can measure that week on week to ensure that there is improvement. Uh, what's the name of that book? I've never heard of it. First, Break All the Rules. Okay, cool. I'm going to order that today. Yeah, it's a great book. He, he, uh, he worked with the Gallup organisation and they surveyed a bucket load of uh, people from across the world and came up with these 12 questions that de- determined whether the person was adding value to the business. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, I need to check it out. Um, all right, well, well, we'll wrap there, JT. I really appreciate you coming on the Fitness Retention Podcast. It's been awesome to meet you. Um, you and I had never met before, but uh, I feel like we will definitely bump into each other at some point. Absolutely. This has been sensational. Are you enjoying being a podcaster? Um, yeah, I like it. You know, it gets me in front of a lot of people that um, know a lot more than I do. Um, and I think that when I'm still in my learning phase, I mean, you'll always be in your learning phase, but I think that the ability to just shoot the shit with people that are smarter and know more than you is a really good place to be. So that's the thing that I've gotten the most out of it. And then connecting other people is really great too, you know? And like you're learning and you're teaching at the same time. So that's got to be a real positive as well. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully I can teach someone something. It, the whole podcasting thing's fascinating, isn't it? Well, it's it gives voice to people who it, it's a shortcut to having a voice. Yes. Yeah. And it helps in positioning. You know, for me, a lot of clubs could be doing a podcast so that in their community they were 
from a marketing perspective, they could be positioned as the experts in exercise, weight loss, nutrition, wellness, whatever it may be. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that there's, I think the podcasting is just getting started. Yeah. Um, and I think that ear share is going to be a lot more important than eye share eventually because yeah. you can consume it at any time. Um, and yeah, I just think that people like the company of people's voices they like and they like learning new things and you can do it at any time. And that's a really great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to be on. Of course. Great. I wish you all the success in the world. Thanks, JT. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. We'll wrap there. See ya. All right, that's episode number 37 with Justin J.T. Tamset. Hope you enjoyed the episode. He's an awesome guy. Another one of those guys with just a ton of energy who wants to make the industry better. Um, speaking of which, that's what I want to do. So I'm opening up a few slots in my consulting program. If you want to get better with retention or you want to figure out what you need to get better on, uh, shoot me an email or head to my website, agemotion.com. And yeah, I've got a plenty of tools there for you to use, whatever works for you at whatever price point. Um, if you need some guidance, just let me know and uh, we can figure it out together. Anyway, the Fitness Retention Podcast signing off, episode number 37, JT. All right, have a good one. Talk to you soon.